Bokitov, good morning. We continue with our Amuna Shir. Help yourself to some coffee if you like. We are continuing the piece we began last week in Rav Shlomo Volbe's Sefer, or the Sefer, which is a collection of his um, Shmuzen called Be'emunaso Yechye. And this beautiful piece on Olam Ha'emuna. So just to recap what we're up to, where we left off last week. He began by quoting a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos that tells us there are three things that remove a person from the world. And you remember the seventh grade girl's interpretation. Hataiva kavod v'akina. person who lives a life that is defined by jealousy or by lust or by the pursuit of honor is removed from the world. What is the world? Rabbeinu Yonah, the Ramban, we spoke about different interpretations. Being removed from the world could mean you're violating the purpose for which the world was created. We were put into this world to be selfless givers. If you are a selfish taker, then you are missing your point. You're missing the reason that you're here. The uh, second interpretation was from the seventh grade girl at Camp Marasha many moons ago, who told me maybe what it means is from every individual. We are each a world unto ourselves, and to have self-confidence, to have happiness, to have self-esteem, to find an equilibrium and balance in our own lives, we have to live a selfless life. If our entire life, all we are is jealous and envious, all we are is lustful, and all we are is pursuing ego and honor, then we have removed ourselves from Ha'olam, the world. Which world? our own world. We're no longer happy with who we are. We're no longer mentally um, balanced and have an equilibrium. The third interpretation, which is Revolb, is what we're talking about, is the Rambam says, which world have you removed yourself from? Olam ha'emuna. Our entire world, the platform, the foundation of the whole world is a knowledge, is an awareness at all times that there's something bigger than ourselves. Kodesh Baruch created the world. This world is so much bigger than us. It's bigger than the here and now. It's bigger than the next moment of pleasure. That there is an eternity and there's an immortality and there is a God who has always been here and always will be here and that He is directing things. And when a person is, their life is informed by jealousy, lust and honor, we spoke about egos edging God out. There's either, you either make room for God in life by being humble and making room or you make no room. You edge God out. You push him out by having an ego that is greatly inflated. So we're on the top of uh, page nine. That was the background from last week. Says Revolba, the core of the debate, the core of the argument between the faith-based community and those who are not, between those who believe and those who don't believe. The truth is, stop two people in the street. One is a believer and one is not. One has a relationship with God and one says, God who? And the difference between them is not, is not the veracity, the persuasiveness of the theological arguments about does God exist. Pin them against one another, the one who lives with God and the one who lives without, and you will not find that the difference between them is the level of thought or analysis they've put in to the question, the theological or philosophical question of God's existence. There are exceptions to that rule, but on the whole, it doesn't stem. Ela novea mishone b'matzavam ha'ishi the truth is that that difference between them much more emanates not from a theological debate, but from a difference in lifestyle, from a difference in mentality, from a difference in personality, from a difference in the life they're living. The person who's driven by money, by things, by material possessions, 
The person who's driven by ego, by power, by name, by status. The person who's driven by lust, by desire, by pleasure is not going to struggle to find God because of philosophical issues. They struggle to find God because God doesn't really have a place in their equation in life. In that room in life, where is there room for God? I kill it in business, and I make things happen, and it's my charisma and my charm and my good looks, and it's my effort that brings about these positive results. And I'm not prepared to defer or compromise or sacrifice my happiness for someone else. It's what I want right now. So when I have no room for anyone else, a person whose life is driven by these three character traits, we spoke about this last week, has no room for God. They also have no room for other people. I think the kind of people who live lives of kinetaiva v'kavod, motzin ola means it's a lonely world because you don't have real relationships. It's hard to have a real marriage of trust and, and confidence and intimacy and connection and love and loyalty and vulnerability when all you care about is your taiva, what you want. And all you care about is kinah, you're jealous. You know, it's fascinating. I'm sure we all see it. I see it as a rabbi. There's a fascinating interplay between couples. Do they take pride in one another's accomplishments or are they threatened and competing with one another's accomplishments? Sometimes you see a couple where when the other one is successful and achieving, it makes the other one feel bad about themselves or down. So they don't take pride. They explain why they're really responsible or why it wasn't really so great or they don't really play up what the other one did. And then there are incredible marriages where ishto kigufo and, and they're really one and the same and whichever one is achieving, the other one draws unbelievable pride. Relationships at their core can't have jealousy and envy. If they're, if they're informed by envy, you can't have a relationship. So it's true in our relationship with the Ribbon Shalom with Hashem, but it's true in our relationships in life. It's true with the spouse, it's true with children, it's true with friends, it's true with co-workers, it's true with neighbors. If we're living lives that are driven by these three attributes, by jealousy and by lust and by honor, there's no room. There's no room for other people, there's no room for God. So when the person who you see says, yeah, God's not in my life, it's unlikely they studied St. Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle and Maimonides and said, you know, I've researched and analyzed the evidence for God's existence and I am convinced he's not there. They probably never heard those names. It's just that God would be incompatible with the life they want to lead. Because you see, if I make room for God, it means I can't just do whatever gives me pleasure. Now I have to answer to a higher authority. And if I make room for God, it means that I'm not the boss and I'm not in charge and I'm not number one and I'm not the one who's the arbiter of my destiny. There's a God who's pulling the strings. And if I make room for God, it means that I have to be happy with my lot in life and I can't live with a sense of jealousy of, of others. So Revolve is pointing out the, dif- the difference between the person who has God in their life and the one who struggles to find God. It might be. It might be they majored in philosophy. It might be that they have a very curious personality and they've studied and they've struggled. It might be, but it's much more likely that they're simply not leading a life that's compatible, that makes room, that there's a space for Hashem. If you're living a humble life, if you're living a life where you're satisfied with what you have, a dayenu life, where you say, die, what I have is enough. If you're living a selfless life where you're so committed to make a difference for other people, you're going to see Hashem all around you. See, when you're living a life where you're at the center of the circle, even though Hashem is really speaking to you constantly, you can't hear it and you don't see it because you are in the way. Anochi, omeid ben Hashem v'beinecha. The anochi, a sense of anochi, the I is standing between God and you. But if you're living a selfless life where you're just devoted and dedicated to people and to good and to mission and to values, you can't help, but you're not even looking 
and you see Hashem all around you. It comes out from Ravob as something absolutely extraordinary, something startling. You know what comes out? If you struggle with Amuna, be a nicer person. If you struggle with Amuna, be a more humble person. I would have said if someone struggles with Amuna, read Aristotle, read Maimonides, read Aisha Torah's Evidence for God's Existence. If you struggle with Amuna, study theology and philosophy, and the answer is now. If you struggle with Amuna, if you struggle with seeing and believing and feeling Hashem in your life, lead a more humble life. And de facto, when you lead a more selfless life and you make more space and room for others, the first one is going to fill that space automatically, inevitably, invariably, is the Ribbon Shalom is the Almighty Himself. So the best exercise to grow in Amuna is to come to the Wednesday morning Amuna Shir. The second best is to listen to it online. The third best is to is not is not to read books on Amuna. The third best is to work on our own personalities. The more humble and the more selfless we are, the more that we are the opposite of Kinataiva Vakavod, the more we're Torah Vod and Gamilas Chasadim, which are the opposite, then the more that Hashem will just fill that space and we'll see him everywhere we look. And will feel his incredible presence in the way that things work out. Now we just had. I'm not going to walk you through the whole story because it's complicated, or unnecessary right now. But we were doing interviews in the shul for one position, and there was somebody who was interviewed who really wasn't right for that position. But for some reason, the person leading the charge and interviewing people gave that person an interview. And in the end of the day, someone else left, and that person moved right into that spot. And they were the perfect person on the exact same day at the exact perfect time. And even though when we went from interviewing many, many people down to 11, down to six, down to the last two, and the other two ended up taking other jobs and we're now at zero, at the moment that we were depressed, we spent all this time and we were at zero, we realized we're not at zero. We went through this entire process because that other person filled the position that we needed on the day that the person said that they were leaving. Like Hashem. So that's a perfect example. So if you say, you know, I'm brilliant. We identified that she was the right person and we hopped her up at that moment, even though she wasn't the right for this job, we put her in that job and you see how smart and astute and what a CEO and what a leader. And, or you could say, you know, Hashem, you're amazing. The way you orchestrated that entire series of events and the timeline of it, it worked out, and Hara, it worked out perfectly. But in order to see Hashem's hand in guiding the things that are happening that work out so well and not as coincidences, you have to step back. If you are filling the whole room because it's all about you and you need to take credit for everything and everything was your brilliant idea, then you have no room to realize, you know what? I got lucky. This whole thing is Hashem. He orchestrated everything. So the, the best way to work on Aramuna, the best way to feel the serenity, the tranquility, the peace of mind, the satisfaction, the happiness, is to realize I have to practice greater humility. I need to squash my anochi, my I, my ego needs to be smaller. I need to make room for other people, and I need to make room for the greatest, for Hashem. The world we're living in, every day, it's an amazing thing. We wake up in the morning, and the world we're living in doesn't welcome us with all kinds of support for living with Amuna. The world we're living in does the exact opposite. Exact opposite. <coughs> we live in a world which from the moment we open our eyes tests our emunah. Because the very fact that Hashem is invisible, 
you can't see or hear or feel or touch him, means from the moment that we gain consciousness, from the moment we wake up in the morning, we're already struggling with, is he there? Why is he doing this? Did he do this? And then on top of that layer, all of the messages, some explicit and some implicit, some overt and some subliminal, whether it's through marketing or just the world itself, telling us all day, it's all you, it's all this, it's all that, there's no God. The whole world is stacked against us. It's not that we start at neutral, and we certainly don't start from a world that's supporting an attitude of emuna. The world is marchikosanu. Chaye ha'olam yom malichem osanu l'chaim megushamim. Because from when we wake up, the world, it's just, this is not even a judgment of the world, it's just an observation. The world is a physical world. We wake up, we're hungry. And we're so tired, we want more sleep. And we look at our clothing and we want new clothing. And is our house big enough? And is our car nice enough? And we're going to go to work where we're going to try to make more money. The whole world is designed about the physical world we're living in. Physical pleasure, physical indulgences, physical status, physical um, things. The overwhelming portion of our day is occupied. I gotta make breakfast, I gotta make lunch, I gotta make dinner. I gotta go shopping, I gotta do laundry, I gotta clean the house. I have to make money because I have to pay for all the things. I've gotta do. Our whole day is occupied and preoccupied by the physical world. And that's by design. Hashem created that. That's not, there's no judgment of that. That is not categorically good or bad, it's what we do with it. So here's the test. You could view the Gashmi world, the physical universe we live in, and say, it is devoid of Hashem. Or you could look at it and say, it is testing me to bring Hashem into it. It's inviting me, it's testing me. It's challenging me to live in that physical world, but do so with a spirituality, with a divine spark to bring Hashem into it. That I found Hashem in the interviews and the job hiring. I found Hashem in the aisles of the supermarket. I found Hashem in the cubicle at work. I found Hashem in the gym. I found Hashem in the kitchen and the living room and the dining room. I found Hashem at the mall. Not at the mall. He's not at the mall. Don't go to the mall. I found Hashem everywhere I turn. Three times a day we daven for that mapecha. Three times a day, the purpose of davening, if I had to summarize the purpose of davening, it's with one word, calibrate. The purpose of davening is to calibrate our lives. Because in between davening, we get lost. You know, the GPS sets you on a path, and then you make a wrong turn. So it recalibrates. We've written about and spoken about the beauty of the GPS, halavai, that we would treat each other that way. There's no judgment. It doesn't yell, you moron, you missed the turn, you turned too early. It just says, recalibrating. New root. No yelling, no anger, no raised voice, no judgment. It just says, no problem. We still have the same destination. You made a wrong turn. It doesn't say, you idiot, you were distracted, you didn't look, you didn't turn, you thought you know better than I did, so even though I told you to go this way, you tried to take that shortcut, you <laughs> yuts. It didn't say any of that. It just says, recalibrating. You're going to try to get you to that destination in a loving way. So davening is recalibrating. I woke up shacharis, and I said shacharis, and I said, ooh, shacharis. Oh, I'm going to have the most noble, virtuous day. I'm going to learn Torah. I'm not going to speak Lashon Hara. I'm going to live with Emunah. I'm going to care about Ruchnius. I'm going to be kind and courteous and honest and fair and good. I'm going to have the most amazing day. 
by the time I got to Mincha, my day had nothing, nothing resembling what I thought it would look like at Shachar's. So why do I have Mincha in the middle of the day? Today we stack Mincha and Marav together. Some daven an early Mincha, but you could daven Mincha Gedola as of 1.32 p.m. So boom, the middle of the day you say, you know what? I was in those business meetings. My ego got in the way. I was negotiating. I thought I'm in charge. I was this. I got stuck in traffic and I lost my mind and I got so angry. I was trying to do something and someone backed out and it bothered me and it hurt me. Mincha, I got to recalibrate. You're in charge. I depend on you. I turn to you. In between Shachars and Mincha, I do a world of initiative. But Mincha comes and I concede again, you're in charge. From Mincha to Marav, I go back to my world of initiative. But you know what ends up happening? Homework and bedtime and dinner time and that time and the other time and the third time. And by the time I get to Marav, I lost my way again. I got to recalibrate. Davening is rerouting. The destination is to go to sleep feeling good about yourself. The destination is to get into bed and say, I had a good day. I accomplished, I achieved, I lived my best version of myself, I felt Hashem in my life, I fulfilled the purpose that I'm here. How do we get to that destination at the pillow? The answer is, davening continues to recalibrate our route so that we can get there. So says Revolba, we daven three times a day, because in between Shachar and Mencha, what happened? Kinataiva and Kavod. It removed me from the world. How do I get back to the world? Mencha. In between Mencha Marv, Kinataiva and Kavod. How do I get back to the world? Marv. And so on. Three times a day. In Davin, we turn to the Almighty and we live with a sense of Amuna, and therefore our entire outlook changes. From Shacharis to Mincha, I was so driven, it's all about me, my pleasure, my happiness, my joy, my status, my honor, my ego, my name. It was all about me. And then Mincha recalibrates and says, Whoa, relax, buddy. It's not about you. It's not about you. That's not why you're here. And that's not what it's about. And that's not what's going to give you happiness. We spoke yesterday in the Parsha Shir. This week is Parsha's Kedoshim. Roshim Ruzovsky, Roshim Panovich, Roshim Tshkop, Roshim Grodna. We went through the different interpretations of what does it mean, Kedoshim, to you? What's a holy life? And both had in common that the notion of holiness is, is a life outside yourself, a life of giving, a life of caring. Kedoshim to you. That's why it's Hashem said, gather everyone. Kedoshim is achieved in the community. It's by being involved and integrated. It's by putting others ahead of yourself. And that's why the whole parsha is filled with these mitzvahs. You are a farmer. You have a field. You have an amazing crop. And you say to your spouse, we're going to kill it this year. Did you see what the farm is producing? What a year. Torah says, leave over the corner. Don't forget the poor person. Don't forget the poor person. It's not all about you and you don't own the whole field. Don't forget the poor person. And the parsha is replete with all such mitzvahs that say, it's not about you. Don't forget this one. Don't forget that. And don't you pay your worker on time. You didn't pay them on time. You think that you're in the position of power, so therefore you can exploit a worker. You don't pay them on time. You're violating a biblical prohibition. The whole parsha is Kedoshim. You know where holiness is? It's not in the shul. It's not in the base medrash. It's not at the mikvah. Holiness is in the farm, on the field. How you interact with the worker how you take care of the poor, how you take care of the stranger and the immigrant. That's where Kedoshim to you, Kedoshim is. So it says, why is that? Because that's the place of humility. That's the place of care and concern for others. That's the place of the opposite of Kina, Taiva, and Kavod. Emuna, faith, is not philosophical. It's not intellectual or academic. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith is a muscle. You exercise it. You work it out. And therefore, it keeps you healthy. Emuna is not intellectual. 
It's not that if someone stops you and starts having a debate or a conversation, do you believe in God, you can answer all kinds of compelling pieces of evidence. Amuna is a lifestyle. It's the choices that we make. It's the attitude that we have. It's feeling the presence of Hashem in our life. Chayim egushamim sosrim l'chayim berubad shalamuna. Ma'avak b'zeh b'in shnei ha'olam ha'salalo kayim bana ba'ofen t'midi. We are living in a world of tension. The physical universe and the spiritual universe. The animal in us and the godly spirit. It is competing every moment of every day. Every moment of every day there is a battle, there is a war being waged inside of us between the animal impulse and instinct that says, it's you, it's your happiness, it's your lust, it's your pleasure, it's your honor, do what you want right now. And the godly spirit that says, no, reach for higher, do more, do better, mission purpose driven, that you have a godly spark, a sense of discipline inside you. When the times of davening come, and we're able to climb up and out of that physical holding us back, we're able to rise higher and we're able to daven. You know, it occurs to me, it's interesting, we record in halacha based on the Gemara, the Shulchan Aruch records, that once certain times of davening begin, you're not allowed to eat or drink or get a haircut, or there's all kinds of physical things that you're not allowed to do. And the simple reading and understanding that's generally given is, because what's going to happen? You sit down to your meal and your conversation, you pour a glass of wine and you're having dinner, oh, I forgot to daven mincha. And now it's too late, the sun went down. Sitting in the barber's chair, you're getting a great haircut. I used to get those. And you're getting a great haircut. And the barber's schmoozing with you, and massaging your scalp, and you're watching the, uh, the golf channel. Oh, I miss Mincha. So the simple reason is, you're not supposed to start these physical activities because they'll distract you and they'll cause you to miss Mincha. But it occurs to me right now that maybe the reason also in Halacha is, is you're about to engage and express your spiritual side. Don't indulge your physical side. Don't indulge dinner and a drink and a haircut and a physical activity when you're trying to transcend the physical at least for a few moments to have a conversation from your soul. We don't always succeed at connecting to davening. Often the reason is because we're walking into shul and what happens? On the way in, we're selling somebody, you see my new car, it gets as many miles per hour, and it doesn't take gas, it's electric, and I can do this, and it goes, makes zero to 60 at that speed, or someone counts, oh, nice watch, you get that new watch, nice new this, you're walking into shul, and on the way into shul, when you're about to daven, you are looking at what someone else has with kinna in the parking lot, or taiva, you're thinking about the dinner you're going to have right after Marav, and you're starving, and taiva, and you're lust, and your hunger, and your appetite, or kavod, you say, I hope they ask me to lead the davening. Or I see my name on the wall of what I dedicated on the way into shul. So when you walk into shul and on the way in, kinataiva and kavod, you're going to have a hard time having a conversation with God. If on the way in, what's inflated is your sense of ego, then it's going to have a hard time having a conversation with Hashem. And the thoughts over this lowly world are pursuing us. And they remove us from the attitude, the energy that we're supposed to bring. But when we succeed in transforming from an attitude and mentality of ego, of selfish to selfless, then we can succeed in connecting with and talking to Hashem from a place of Emunah. I hope today to find time to write my article for this week and I'm going to write about 
I just saw an article that quoted a study about the importance of doing nothing. You know, the busyness factor and busy and busy and busy and always busy and noise and noise and noise and the capacity to shut down for a little bit every day. And I've spoken about, and I have a chevra of guys that I try to do this with. We have a WhatsApp group and hold each other accountable for three minutes a day to go turn our phone on airplane mode and three minutes a day, close your eyes and just breathe and think. Now, three minutes, you're like, three minutes? What's three minutes? I can do that in a second. Three minutes, the first time you do it, I promise you, will feel like a lifetime. Three lousy minutes will feel like a lifetime. So we've been doing that for a while, and it's very healthy. And days that I don't do it, I feel it. And days that I do it are different days. But recently I did it, just the timing of it fell out to do it, right before I davened. And that davening was so different than any davening I've ever had. Because on the way into davening, I already became comfortable with disconnecting, with being comfortable in my own skin, with hearing my own voice, with calibrating my own priorities, with being lost in my own thoughts, with taking deep breaths, neshama, neshima. We rediscover our soul when we breathe deep. The soul is within the breath, within the breathing. So that article, that notion of doing nothing in order to be an anchor in our life and to preserve our sense of self and our sense of uh, balance, I think is exactly what the Hasidim Rishonim say, that they would meditate for an hour before davening. I'm at three minutes, not 60. I don't see myself getting to 60 anytime soon. But we could start with the three minutes. So that's what he's saying. If you walk into davening, on the way into davening, you're still on the phone. Uh, did you buy the thing? Did you sell the stock? Did you see what the neighbor got? Did you, you know, how many likes and follows do I have? If on the way into davening, you're still talking a language of kinataina and kavod, taiva and kavod, it's like, you know, it's the same in, in the way into dinner with your spouse. You're still having a conversation about me and me and me and me and me and me. Okay. Enough about me, let's talk more about me. At dinner, what kind of relationship are you going to have? So if you spend those moments disconnecting and ego and context and perspective and what matters, the world doesn't revolve around me, things don't happen the way I necessarily drew them up to happen, I will accept the way that they happen, all relationships will be different if we can work on our humility, if we can work on suppressing our ego and making room for others. If we make room for others the biggest one we'll make room for who will fill that space is the Reborn Shalom. We'll feel his presence in our lives. Okay. We're going to stop here. Everyone remember where we're picking up next week? Top of, We're not picking up next week. I'm not here. Two weeks. But maybe next week, well, I'm going to turn off the recording for now. By recording. <laughs>